0: Welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Well, good to see you all. Nice to be able to teach again and um, we'll carry on with 1 Peter this morning, which we've been looking at since January on and off. And you'll remember, hopefully, when I started the series, um, I said that Kind of One of the reasons we preach three books of the Bible is because it forces us to uh, confront passages that we might otherwise be tempted to skip over and to miss um, because they're difficult. <laughs> and, uh, and so the tempting thing would be to jump over them to the next bit that you, know, you really want to preach on. Uh, but that wouldn't be to sit under the Word of God together. To sit under the Word of God is to submit ourselves to all of it, the bits that are easy to preach on, And the bits that are more difficult. And we're in the middle of some of the more difficult texts at the moment. So, two weeks ago, I I taught on how, uh, as Christians, we're called to submit to kind of unjust and corrupt human authority. um, Which you can catch up on YouTube if you didn't catch that one. I know that, you know, me and some of the guys from our community group have all sort of hit a new level of despair at having to be discipled in in this regard over the last fortnight. So don't worry, Mike, it's different stuff today, mate. So we'll be okay. Today, uh, we come to the part of 1 Peter where he addresses masters and slaves and husbands and wives in such a way that if we're not kind of familiar with this, the first time we hear it, it's likely to raise our heckles. So my prayer this morning is that... um, Although there's a challenge in these texts, there's also an opportunity. There's an opportunity, first of all, to uh, learn and think about how we responsibly interpret the Bible. So when um, Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his ministry in 2 Timothy, he's encouraging Timothy in his ministry and he says um, to to grow in faithfully teaching the word, rightly dividing the word. And the implication of that is that if you can kind of rightly teach the word, you can also wrongly teach the word. So how we interpret the Bible matters. And we'll look at that this morning. But I also pray that as we come to the text, we'll be able to encounter some profound truths of what it means to live as a Christian in some particular cases. So let's read the text first and then we will dive in. I've tried to pop it on slides again. And I've made them a little bit bigger this time, so let's pop, there you go, that's how big I can get it, so if that's not big enough, then why don't you get your phone out or your Bible and, uh, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're picking things up in verse 18, so I'll give you just 20, 20 seconds to navigate your way there, I tend to read from the ESV if you want the exact same translation, but it doesn't really matter. Okay, so let's read it through together. Servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure... He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for ye were strained like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And we'll continue into chapter three. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honour to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. There we go. So, what were your instinctive reactions to hearing me read that out loud? Were there any bits that made you a bit uncomfortable? Did you feel more uncomfortable when I read about women being the weaker vessels than when I read about slaves having to obey unjust masters? If so, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So we need to talk this morning, before I teach on the text, we need to talk a bit about how we interpret the Bible. And how we, uh, how we deal with, so we're going to talk about interpretation in general, and then we're going to talk about this text in particular. So how do we interpret this text in particular? And one of the main things I want you to grasp this morning is that interpretation is unavoidable. Okay, this is like one of the top three things I want you to go away with this morning, is the idea that interpretation, having to interpret the Bible, is unavoidable Uh, I sometimes kind of hear it said that uh, interpretation is what other people do and normally we mean dodgy other people. Interpretation is what dodgy other people do to their Bible, whereas I just read it. I just read it and I believe it. Well, in reality, that's never true. No human being ever just reads anything. But we always look at letters and words and we put them together and understand them with a variety of things going on from our background, our culture, our grasp of language, the kind of mental grids that we come to anything with. We all do this all of the time. So let me give you an example from the Bible. Ah, yeah, don't worry about that word. I was going to talk about that word and then I I didn't and I forgot to change the slide. Hermeneutics. So let's have the next slide, John. So here's the first example I want to talk about from the Bible. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, what would you say if I stood here and said, there you go. This proves that Jesus was not human. He was not divine. He was made of wood and swung on two hinges. You would say to me, Tim, you're an idiot. That is a ridiculous way to read the Bible. And why are you wasting our time talking about it? And you'd be right, wouldn't you? But you'd be right because we all interpret this to get the meaning of the text by using our understanding of the way language works. We understand that this is a metaphor. We understand that Jesus is not making a claim about being a bit of furniture. He's making a claim about being a way to God. That's an easy one. What about this next example? Mark chapter eight. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, as Peter does. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what do we do here? Do we take this to mean that Peter is Satan and there's a unity of identity there that Satan's other name is Peter and Peter's other name is Satan because after all that's what Jesus calls him or do we take it to mean that Peter was possessed by Satan in that moment? Or do we take it to mean that Peter spoke like Satan in that moment? Or do we take it to mean that through Peter's words, Satan tempted Jesus in that moment? And so on and so on. There are numerous ways that we might understand this. And the problem is that even if I was to conclude this means that Peter is Satan, I've still interpreted to get there. I've still made sense of what this means, okay? It just so happens that that's a poor interpretation rather than a good interpretation. So those two little examples, we could go through any bit of the Bible and do the same thing over and over again, but that wouldn't keep you very interested for very long. The point is, this is unavoidable. Interpretation is unavoidable. But there are good ways of interpreting and there are bad ways of interpreting. And uh, I haven't got time this morning to kind of go through all the different things that make for good interpretation and all the things that make for bad interpretation. I may um, maybe do that on a podcast at some point for those of you that want to kind of really get your heads a bit more around this. But for now, um, it will have to be enough to say that good interpretation, responsible interpretation, is where we try to make sense of what the author is trying to say. We try and read the text the way they were meant to be read. We try to hear them for what they are trying to say. And bad interpretation is where we ignore all of that hard work and we just take it in the first way it strikes us or the way we want to hear it. Do you like this picture? If you can't um, read, can't make out the letters at the bottom, the guy's saying, don't bother me. I'm looking for a verse of scripture to back up one of my preconceived notions. Okay, this is like, this is poor interpretation going on. And uh, that's just a silly example, really, of what I mean when I say poor interpretation, where we, you know, we can all pluck texts out to try and make the Bible say what we want it to say. And, and one of the most irresponsible ways of interpreting the Bible, I think, is to, um, is to say or, or to think or to pretend that we don't do it. It's when we do say, oh, you guys interpret it, I just read it that's one of the most irresponsible ways of doing it. Because what that amounts to is the claim that if I say that, if I say I just read the Bible and I therefore know what's true, what I'm saying is I have the ability to perfectly understand without any help or learning or instruction or anyone else's input, I have the ability to perfectly understand what these texts mean. But the truth is that we all need help. We all need help to interpret the Bible properly. The Bible, after all, is a collection of 66 different books written over a thousand years or so period of time between the oldest and the newest. Over 2,000 years ago, the newest book is over 2,000 years old, written in cultures very different from our own. We all need help to work out what it says. We need people to translate it for us, we need people to organize it for us. And that's why in churches all over the world, this happens every Sunday. The Bible is taught, it's exposited by people who on the whole are encouraged to study and to learn and to grow in their ability to do that. And this isn't new, this is in the New Testament, isn't it? You know, not all of you should pretend to be teachers because you'll be judged more harshly because you've got a responsibility to teach the truth of the word. That's why Paul says to Timothy, learn to rightly divide the word of truth. Paul says, we are not like many peddling the word of God, but we... So this has always been the case, and I think where I want to finish this little introduction to interpretation is to just say that it really matters. Like it really matters um, how we how we read our Bibles, because um, if we if we don't interpret them responsibly, what we end up with is um, bad theology. And bad theology gives us a distorted view of God, a distorted view of the world, a distorted view of ourselves. And what you really believe really impacts your life. Your worldview controls the way you experience life, who you become. It's really important. I I could give you dozens and dozens of examples just from my experience as a pastor of where a kind of bad worldview, uh, uh, a sort of, um, yeah, an irresponsible reading of the Bible has had significant impact in people's lives and walks with God. So this really matters. That's why I've taken as long as I have to to talk about this. So let's return to our text this morning then. That's all a bit uh, kind of disjointed maybe. Let's come to our text. So what do we need to know If we're going to read this bit of 1 Peter in a responsible way, we probably need to know that Peter's writing in a culture where slavery is both legal and commonplace. So, uh, you know, a guess would be about 15% of people, maybe 20%, 15 to 20% were slaves. So, like, if we were a church back then, maybe that section would be slaves as a proportion of the whole. Um, It was the established social system. The economy depended on it. It was utterly taken for granted. And like bizarrely for us, it just wasn't seen as morally problematic. There was no problem with slavery, morally, back then. Masters had absolute power over their slaves and slaves were defined as property. We also need to know that Peter was writing in a heavily patriarchal culture. Gender roles were clearly defined and closely guarded. Most women had very little power unless they had a lot of money. Most women had very little power, but were under the authority of their fathers or their husbands in ways that extended to almost every part of life. And you know one of the ways to sum this up is is to look at Aristotle who wrote, and he said, Some are born to rule and some are born to serve. And freeborn men are born to rule And slaves and women were born to serve. And that was like the moral ethos of the Greco-Roman culture. So we need to know that. And we also need to be aware, as we hopefully are, that we no longer live in a culture like that. Our presuppositions will be very different from those who first read this letter. And this is clear in the case of slaves, isn't it? We're all clear that slavery is wrong, it's abhorrent, it's evil which means that we can't just read this text and apply it without taking that into account. And I can prove this to you, because if you were to walk out of the church and go somewhere and get chatting to somebody and discover in the course of your conversation that they were a slave, because there is still slavery today, isn't there? It's not legal anymore, but it exists. And we were to meet somebody who is being kept as a slave, then would we get out 1 Peter 2, and sit them down and say, look, brother, be subject to your master in all respects, not only to the just, but to the unjust. We wouldn't do that, would we? If we walked out that door and met a slave, what we would say is, you poor person, come with me to the police station and we will end this horrible abuse of your personage right now. That's what we'd do. So, if we want to understand what our text has to say to us as God's word, we will need to interpret. We will need to try and separate what is time-bound, culturally contingent, from what is eternally true and authoritative and still applies to us today. And we have to do that for the passage about wives and husbands as well. If you're prepared to do it for slavery, you have to ask the same questions for the stuff about marriage. And this isn't easy um, to do that kind of fully, you'd have to look at all sorts of texts all over the Bible, wouldn't you? you'd have to do, you know, a lot more than we're going to do this morning. But there is no way round having to face these questions. So let's actually turn to the text, let's work through it, and let's see uh, how we might read that to find um, what might apply to us today. So if we skip back to where we started then, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So what is Peter doing here and what is he not doing here? He is not giving us a view on whether slavery is okay or not. They just assume that it exists. He's not calling on the church to overturn the social system and start a revolution We know that the seeds of the gospel did eventually blossom into a Christianity that did overturn the social system, that did outlaw slavery. But that's not what Peter's doing here. What he's doing is he's teaching the church, how do you live in this circumstance? It's it's fine to ask whether or not slavery is right, but Peter is addressing a different question. He's addressing how do we live when we are slaves? That's not a particularly relevant question for you. Although slavery exists today, it's not 10 to 15% of us. I very much doubt it's anyone in this room. But perhaps we might think about this kind of question instead. How do we live when we experience unjust treatments that we have no means of changing? Because that's what slavery was for them. It was unjust, but they had no means of changing it. So how then do they live? So we could ask that kind of question for us. How do we live? when we experience unjust treatment, that we have no means of changing. Thank God we live in a society where so many of the unjust treatments we can do something about, can't we? We've got due legal process, we've got social systems. But we're not spared from everything, are we? We can be vilified in relationships when we haven't done anything wrong. And we're unable to change people's perceptions of us. We can be isolated at work because we don't fit in, not popular, get overlooked for promotions, for just just rewards that should come our way. We can lose jobs when it's not our fault. Again, we've got legal process to sort that out, it's what David Faulkner spends his time doing. But justice is not always served. We can be bullied in school or as adults, we can have neighbours whose constant bad behaviour and abuse and disruption continues and continues, and we just can't sort it, can't do anything about it. Sometimes, in truth, we can face circumstances that are awful that we cannot change. stacy's spoke at the start of the service about one of the ways we respond to that as Christians. But. So, if that is the case for us sometimes, how then do we live? I think this text says four things to us. So picking it up in verse 19, it's a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if you do wrong and then you're punished for it? But if you do good and suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So what principle might we take out of that for us? I think we might take this. Let's uh, flick on to the next one, please, John. So our first one I I think we can take out of this is we are called to behave out of relationship to God rather than out of the behaviour of the other person. So when someone is mistreating me and I cannot do anything about it, this text says to me, your responsibility is to behave out of your relationship to God, not out of your reactions to them. mindful of God, Peter says. That's the key, he says. It's a gracious thing when mindful of God. We react out of our walk with God first. And if we do that, if we're mindful of God, we can endure unfair suffering, knowing that it's gracious in his sight. Again, let's distinguish a a good reading and a bad reading. So what I'm not saying is, whenever you're suffering abuse, You just accept it and endure it because that's gracious in the sight of God. Remember, what's Peter talking about? He's talking about a situation that you cannot change. If you're in an abusive situation where there is the possibility of change, then there's an entirely different response to that, which is, yes, it's fine to get out of a situation where you're being abused if you can. But if you can't, then this becomes important. We live out of our relationship to Jesus rather than the behavior of the other person. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Jesus is our model all of the time. He is our model in the good times. He is the model when we suffer unjustly. That was his story, wasn't it? He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't revile in return. He didn't threaten. What did he do? He entrusted himself to God who judges justly. And so too can we. And this is a great comfort for Christians. When we can't do anything about it, and hardship, suffering, injustice comes our way, we know that there is a higher court. We can entrust ourselves to God, who one day will see that justice is done. And um, sometimes as Christians, we get nervous about God's judgment And when we do, this is a worldview issue that we need some good theology to correct. Because when we're Christians, we have nothing to fear from the judgment of God. And actually, the coming judgment of God is one of the hopes that we hold on to. Because one day, he will set things right, the things that we can't set right. He will deal with those that oppress us, that we can't do anything about. And finally... And this one is, um, is hard to live. But when we're treated unjustly, what does Peter say? He says, "Remember, Jesus bore your sins on His body. By His wounds, you've been healed. For you were actually you were straying like sheep that's gone astray, <laughs> but you've now returned to the Shepherd and Overseer of your souls. So when somebody is mistreating you," One of the things that you are called to do is look at them and say to yourself, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Given a different set of circumstances, I could just as easily be the oppressor as this person that's mistreating me. We remember our own capability for sin. And we thank God that he's delivered us. That is not the complete answer to the problem of unjust suffering. Uh, Our whole church teaching at the end of the month is gonna uh, address suffering in far more detail. But these four things are part of the answer. So before I move on, what I want us to do is pause actually and to pray. And I want you to call to mind any situation where you feel you are currently facing injustice of some kind. Or oppression of some kind, or mistreatment of some kind. If it's not currently happening, chances are it will within a couple of weeks, because that's life in it. So let's pause and call that to mind. Holy Spirit, come be with us. You are already. But bring to mind now, Holy Spirit, where we feel oppressed, victims of injustice, abused. Unjustly treated. And as things come to mind, why don't you pray to God in your heart that he would enable you to react like this? To behave out of your relationship to him rather than the behavior of the other person. To take Jesus as your example, to entrust yourself to God, and to remember that you are every bit as unjust in your nature as the other person. And it's only by the mercy of God that we are any different. Just take 30 seconds to do that. just got a few minutes left, so we're just going to whip through the wives and the husbands stuff in a couple of minutes, and then we will finish. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. In that culture, the marriage relationship, the power dynamics were, uh, what's the word? Disproportionate, but to the extreme, whatever that word is. Legal, social power lay almost entirely with the husband. The wife truly was the weaker vessel in many ways, physically, socially, legally, and so on. And so in that culture, it was extremely easy for husbands to exert power and for wives to be left with the only response, which is one of manipulation. So threaten shame and disruption in the household, discrediting of the husband. And so it's quite hard for me to kind of overstate this morning just how different that culture was from ours in this regard. Nowadays power is much more evenly balanced, not always, but often. Power is much more evenly balanced between men and women. But isn't it the case that our relationships can also be pulled into patterns of power and manipulation? Or is it just me and Jay? I doubt it. Power and manipulation are a constant option for us in our relationships, including our marriages. Either exerting our force in one way or another, or insisting on our rights, or demanding things, and so on and so on. How easy it is to choose to live in that rather than in relationships of sacrificial love, which is what we're called to Here in this passage, I'm just going to suggest this morning that one of the things this passage is doing is calling us to live lives of character rather than lives of power and manipulation. Here's three points. We'll just rattle through them. Yeah, next slide please, John. That'd be grand. Here we go. First point, don't manipulate one another by external things or by your demands. Say, because of the way their culture was. Peter addresses this to the women. Don't let your adorning be external, braiding of hair, jewellery, clothing, etc but focus on the heart, the imperishable beauty of a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. There's nothing wrong with looking good. There is something wrong when it becomes the means by which we hope to manipulate or wield power over the other person. And this is not just a female problem. Men can be every bit as materialistic, can think that the things that we buy, the social position that we hold should be enough to make our wives accept what we want or do what we say. All of this, all of us can justify ourselves by the externals, can attempt to control relationships by the externals, and that is not our call. We are called to give grace to one another in the development of our characters. Because this is precious in God's sight. Which leads us straight into number two. Focus on your character out of your relationship with God. Just like with the slaves, Peter makes this all about your walk with God, not really about the other person. It's not really about the other person. Rather than trying to make the other person change if we push into God and seek our own change, if we grow in our character, if we become all we were created to be, then that's the main thing. And maybe our spouse will do the same. Maybe God's grace will be at work in them as we submit to him. And so finally, don't use power to harm, but to honour. Peter talks to the men. They had the power. Live in an un. Uh, external things. So, um, so in 1 Peter, he talks mainly about the way that the women manage their appearance. And um, my reading of that is that he's steering them away from an attempt to manipulate by the way they conducted themselves in externals and is saying, instead, focus on the internals of your character. And so I'm trying to apply that to us to say that we, both male and female, can attempt to manipulate our relationships by appeal to external things, either the money we have and the things that we can buy, or the way we outwardly behave and conduct ourselves, and that can enter into power manipulation dynamics. And we're both, to male and female, to avoid that, but to push in to... The Grace of developing our character rather than trying to make the other person change or do what we want by. Um, yeah, so when you've got power, live in an understanding way and show honor. whenever we're the strong one, so you know nowadays it may not be always men. Whenever you find yourself the stronger party in relationship, use your power to honor rather than to control. OK? Let's finish there. This feels a quick way through the texts, but I hope you'll appreciate that I have chosen really to talk about the importance of how we read these texts this morning. And I hope that's been helpful. Uh, It may well have raised questions and I'm happy to talk at the end um, about this with anyone who wants to, but should we just stand and I'll briefly pray and then hand back to Adrian and, and you lead us, mate, in the time we've got left. So... Say, Lord, I pray for us for two things this morning. I pray that we would become faithful, ever more faithful readers and livers of your word. And we pray for your help when we don't know how to read. Lord, save us from presumption for thinking that we know all the time what your word is saying. Save us also from insecurity of feeling totally lost, of not feeling like we can know anything, but help us to walk the middle path, Lord, of confidence in your word and humility before your word. And the second thing I pray for us, Lord, is that you promise in this text that we are not defined by the circumstances we find ourselves in, but it's how we respond to those circumstances that matters. That whatever is going on, we can choose to push into you. We can choose to live out of our walk with you and submit ourselves to you. And that these are precious things in your sight. That these build our intimacy with you. So we pray, Lord, give us grace to not let our circumstances distract us or excuse us or disempower us, but to seek your grace in our circumstances for our change, for your glory. That our characters would be shaped and we would receive your well done when you come in your judgment and you remove all injustice from us. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe, and how you can get involved, check out our website, amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.